Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And we are live with the Standing Room Spartans podcast. Your host, Kevin Parker, your co-host, Scott Martin. I don't know if if the people just heard that recording in progress sign like I did. That was the first time. So um, if you did, I apologize for the surprise. <laughs> if not, then you're just kind of listening to some weird ramblings here. But hope everybody's having a good start to the week here. We're recording on a Sunday. As usual, we got Phil Mickelson leading the PGA championship as of right now. Uh, I got a little wager on the big golfer, Bryson DeChambeau, finishing in the top five. So uh, if he is in the top five, you'll see a happy host come Monday. And if not, well, you know how it goes. But Scott, how are you doing today? Doing good. Feels like summer's here. I don't know how it is for you, but uh, we've got a couple days in the 90s back to back this weekend. So enjoying the nice spell of summer weather and excited to to get into another one here. I think we're um, kind of riding the coattails of last week's episode going on to the defense and uh, yeah, should be should be a fun one. Yeah, for everybody who hasn't checked out last week's episode, make sure you do. I did not post it anywhere last week. I realized that in the middle of the week and then decided to just run an experiment. And you know what? The numbers actually did pretty good. So all of you, I very much appreciate that you are, you know, you're just subscribed. You're listening. You don't need me to post it on Twitter. You don't need me to post it on Facebook you're, uh, you're going to listen anyway. So I really appreciate all of you, but if you did not, if you're just catching this from, from Twitter or Facebook, make sure you go back and listen to last week. You'll kind of hear us set this up as we're talking about reasons to be optimistic and pessimistic for each position group. Last week, we ran through the offensive positions this week. We'll go through the defense. Um, and the, the way we kind of set this up was we, we found ourselves agreeing a lot, you know, and we decided, you know what, let's, let's each take a different side of each of these groups and, and try to battle it out a little bit. So uh, we'll have some fun with that. Before we get into it, we got uh, a transfer. Unfortunately, if you're listening to the podcast for the last, you know, year or so, uh, well, you know, this is one of our guys. Devin Hightower is leaving the program. He has entered his name into the transfer portal, the linebacker. Somebody that Scott and I both were pretty high on, somebody that I think we were both expecting some pretty big things from. 
unfortunately deciding to take his talents elsewhere. We will be rooting for him. We'll, we'll see where he winds up as of now. There's no news on that, but uh, yeah, uh, somebody that we were both really excited for and somebody that I think we're both uh, pretty upset to see go. Yeah, it's surprising, um, especially at a position of need like linebacker. We saw this with a few corners leaving the program earlier in the offseason. Um, you'd expect, you know, at a position of need, a position with openings and opportunities coming up this season that, uh, so, you know, the guys would stick around and, and see how things played out. Chances are things were not playing out in the spring, how he had hoped um, with the addition of these transfers. You know, he, he can read the situation better than a couple of podcast hosts, so it probably was not uh, trending positively for him, but definitely a bummer, definitely a guy, um, another one of those guys we were kind of waiting to see him break out onto the scene and thought with the opportunities coming up this season, he was going to get some time, but uh, wasn't meant to be, and 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 we'll keep rolling. Yeah, and this will be something that comes up later. We will when you talk about the linebacker group again. You mentioned kind of maybe you saw some writing on the wall there. We'll get it, we'll get into that a little bit more. But yeah, it's just somebody that it's it's a bummer. You know, a lot of these guys they leave and we haven't really seen them on the field, so you don't really have any attachment to them at all. But Hightower was somebody that we were piping up so much before last season that you know, it feels like he was one of our guys. So, uh, you know, uh, like I said, we'll, we'll be really excited to see where he winds up and rooting for a good college career from him. Elsewhere, before we get into the topic, this is something that I want to hit on. We're a college football podcast. We're a Michigan State football podcast. But there was some huge news in the basketball world that I want to hit on. You know, it's the offseason, so we got some time to, to hit on some national topics uh, we have a little bit of a platform here, so it's kind of fun to give our sports takes for everything else. And the news I'm referring to was a high school basketball player by the name of Scooter Henderson. He was the number nine player, uh, according to 24-7, in the 2021 recruiting class uh, for high school basketball players. He signed a $1 million deal for the G League. And I just wanted to bring this up to kind of get your take on it as well, Scott, because, you know, we're, we're Michigan state diehards. We, we both went to school there. We're both podcasting about them. We watch every football game. We watch every basketball game too, even though we don't podcast about them. And I really wonder what this trend means for college basketball as a whole. We saw Imani Bates decommit the general feeling out there is that he's probably going to go a similar route in the G league. So I don't know, like, I guess the questions are, are numerous, but is this good for college basketball? Is this a huge impact on college basketball? Like, do you think this is just going to be water under the bridge? Only a couple guys will leave and, and it won't really impact. Or is it something that you think like, damn, there's going to be a lot of talented guys that aren't going to be playing college basketball anymore. I don't know which, which side of this do you fall on? Cause I'm kind of conflicted on it. I think it will obviously bring down the, the top tier talent level in college basketball. Uh, but I don't think it's a death blow to college basketball, even if it kind of becomes more of a trend with these top tier guys uh, for a couple of reasons. One being if a guy like that goes to college for a year um, you're still not going to see the best of him 
for a few reasons. One, he's still a freshman. He's got development to do, whether he's doing that in the G League or doing that in college. Even when it's a top-tier talent, they're rarely, you know, this explosive NBA-ready player their freshman year in college uh, or their first year in the NBA, their first year in the G League, whatever it is. Um, I think college basketball is at at its best when the stars are three or four year guys who have really entrenched themselves in the hearts of their fan bases in the national conversation. Um, And I think it opens up an opportunity for some of those developmental guys to get more opportunities. Um, A couple other factors I think that will play into this, the name image likeness uh, laws that are going into effect now where certain players can come in and, and make money on their, their brand, their personal brands now, um, depending on how that fleshes out, what kind of money will really be available through those kinds of endorsements uh, will, will certainly determine, you know, how uh, relevant that is. But um, you know, because college basketball and college sports in general have large, really large fan bases that opens up huge endorsement opportunities, I think greater than in the G league where, you don't really have the hearts of fan bases. You know, the G League fans are, you're watching for one guy or you're maybe, if you're a real diehard NBA fan, you're watching your NBA team just to see how the guys are developing. Um, But all in all, I think the combination of exposure, the name image likeness, um, and just the culture of college basketball, I think it'll continue to thrive and continue to attract talent. I think it'll still be an area that the best of the best consider I think you'll see a lot of the absolute elite talent like Scoot Henderson and like Imoni Bates uh, will probably go to the G League to get their bag early Um, and you can't blame them for that but I think uh, college basketball will be all right going forward yeah I think that there's a couple things like the the one thing that college basketball has going for it is the fan bases like you mentioned and that's something that's never going to go away And, and maybe it will always be a little bit of a niche sport you know, college football, it's football and football is just in its, in its own more popular than basketball. And it always will be in this country. So um, I, I think as far as that goes, it's a little bit different, but with, with college basketball, it's, it's never been a sport that's like on the full national radar for the whole season, right? You have the tournament and everybody gets involved, but until then, it's really just the local fan bases who are following their own teams. I I think you'll get the college game days on Saturdays and and people will maybe sit around and watch a couple of games in the winter when there's nothing else to do. But in its essence, I think college basketball has always been a little bit of a niche sport. So like you said, when it comes to Michigan state specifically, especially like these young freshmen, the, the mega talented dudes who are going one and done anyway, a school like Michigan state and our fan base has had conflicting views on that for a long time as it is. So if we're unable to attract those guys, you know, and, and even further, then it's not really going to be a big deal for us because, you know, Tom Izzo has been criticized for the way that he has developed those one and done guys. Anyway, the, the best Michigan state players of our kind of generation you look at a Kalen Lucas, a Draymond Green, a Denzel Valentine. Like these are all guys who have been there for three, four years and just developed under Tom Izzo and his system and Drew Neitzel and, and Paul Allen and some of these guys. So 
I, I just, yeah, from the Michigan state perspective, I don't think a whole lot's going to change in the whole grand scheme of college basketball. You might have even fewer eyes on it throughout the regular season, but the, the tournament's always going to be the tournament and college basketball's regular season has never been that popular anyway. So in the grand scheme of things, I don't think a whole lot's going to change, but you're definitely going to see a lot less of those top 10 type talents. And maybe when you look at like this last year, I mean, Kentucky was down, Duke was down, Kansas was a little bit down. Maybe that hurts the blue bloods a little bit uh, because they're unable to attract those top guys. And you start seeing some of the mid majors, some of the middle power five programs that start to get a little bit of a leg up just based on their ability to attract four-year type of guys. I don't know, maybe the the landscape of national champions and national powers start to move a little bit. Yeah, it'll be interesting to uh, to pay attention to for sure. Um, but at the end of the day, they're still going to line up five on five and play college basketball. And whether the talent level is a little bit lower or not, the excitement of the game will still be there. The ebbs and flows of a, you know, an intense pressurized basketball game will still remain. Um, if they make 2% less of their shots because they're not quite <laughs> as good, then so be it. But I think the essence of the game is still there. The fan bases will be just as passionate and they'll have their guys and um, yeah, life will go on. Yeah. I can tell you one guy that's screwed by this is John Calipari. <laughs> yeah he is NBA not junior he might as well just move kentucky's basketball program into the g league he, at this point i know he can he can pay a bag to his recruits i don't know if he's willing to shout out shell out a million <laughs> yeah and i had that thought like how do the college um payments or the shoe brand payments <laughs> compare to the million dollar contract in the g league i don't know it'll be interesting too to see as the g league kind of develop g league ignite i should say develops into a more stable uh league what what's the running amount of money right like what is yeah. the okay i'm what's a top 10 guy what does my bag look like uh is it a hundred thousand and then like a, somehow a guy like scoot or amoni gets a million or is, is everybody getting a million um, well, that's and the funny thing for me is this isn't even like a, a, you know, locked in number one player in his class. This is like number nine player in his class, like damn good player. But we're not even talking about Imani Bates, you know, somebody who basketball player or basketball followers have been talking about for years. Like if this dude's getting a million, what's Imani getting? Yeah. Did he sign a contract with the G league yet, or just announce his intention. To I don't know. I don't know. Join. Specifics. I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm guessing it was not officially signed. He, uh, the quote I'm reading right now is I humbly accept the opportunity to join the G league ignite team. Hmm. Well, a lot to pay attention to. I'm sure a lot of our listeners are also basketball fans. Um, so we will keep our eyes on that and how it impacts Michigan state and the the broader context of college basketball. We'll touch on it here and there when there's news, like Kevin said, we're not, not necessarily basketball guys, but we like to keep our eyes on it. And obviously we're uh, Michigan state diehards. The good, the good news for us is we will never have to worry about this with college football. I, I can guarantee you that because they've tried spring leagues. They've tried all None of it works. And yeah. college football is safe. I, I can promise you that. Yeah. And at the end of the day, I mean, a lot's been made of, you know, the physical differences between college and pro basketball and football players. I do believe in football 98% of the time dudes coming out of high school are just not ready to be on an NFL field. 
Um, and uh, yeah, so it'll be interesting to watch, but I think college basketball will be okay. College football will be okay. And uh, we'll keep rolling. Absolutely. So let's get into the topic here. So we got reasons for optimism, reasons for pessimism for each of these position groups. The same thing we did last week, this time we're hitting the defense. So Scott, I'm going to let you go ahead and kick this thing off for us. Yeah. So we'll start up front at the D line. Uh, I'm optimistic on the D line. I, I think as you look at all the position groups in the defense and, and really, as I think about it, all the position groups on the team, I think I'm probably highest on this defensive line. A great combination of uh, returning veterans, uh, some transfer veterans, or at least one with Drew Jordan, and some youngsters coming up that, by all accounts, this staff and this program are really high on guys like Jalen Hunt, Deshaun Mallory. Um, I think this group is the safest as far as being a productive, efficient, um, and, and really scary for their opponents uh, group on this defense. And that probably means I'll be dead wrong and they'll have a terrible season. Like the running backs last year, we thought we were in great shape and it was a little hit or miss, but no, I think, I think we'll be great. I think you've got a great combination of interior run stoppers, interior, um, you know, pressure guys and the same thing on the outside. So I, I really, I mean, I don't think we need to belabor, belabor the point too much. I really think this group is going to be great. I think they're going to set the tone on the defense. Um, and I think it's going to make the lives of the groups behind them, which maybe are looking a little bit shakier. I think it'll take a little bit of pressure off of those guys. So here's my problem with the defensive line. And I'll start by kind of echoing a little bit of what you said. The The football outsiders, we referenced them last time. We have some kind of analytics about how much ground they give up on a snap to snap basis on run plays. Our defensive line was great last year. We we're around the top 10 in giving up just line yards. You know, how much are you getting pushed back off the snap uh, power rate? So if the offense is facing a third and one fourth and one, can you get the job done and stop them? We're at 50%, which is pretty darn good. Um, the problem this pass rush worries me. And, and this isn't even just, ah, I got to find something to be pessimistic about this. This jumped right off the page at me. The pass rush is just not there right now. And, and that worries me there's a couple of guys who we can say, yeah, he's got potential, right? We've talked about Michael Fletcher. He's got the build. He, he's starting to develop a little bit as a pass rusher. He's got the athleticism, but we haven't seen it from any of these guys. Our career that as far as guys that we're going to be seeing playing on the defensive line this year, Drew Jordan, the incoming transfer from Duke is the career leader in sacks with nine. When I, so I was curious, I added this all up, right? So I took the career sack numbers of Drew Jordan, of Jacob Panishuk, of Drew Beasley, Michael Fletcher, basically everybody that I expected to be playing significant snaps from the defensive line this season career numbers. We total all of them up. There's 28 career sacks on this defensive line. Scott, I'm going to give you one player and granted, this is, you know, one of those quote unquote generational, like outstanding top three pick in the NFL draft type players. So our defensive line has a career 28 sacks between them. How many sacks do you think Chase Young had in his Ohio state career? 
Oh, in his career. Um, and remember, he, he missed a couple games. He's got suspended for a couple games. He only played three years. He, he left early. He didn't play a full freshman season. But he was dominant. I mean, there was at some point in his junior year, Heisman talk about him. Um, I, God, I, I just remember him playing against Michigan State and shuddering at the <laughs> idea of him going up against our he right looks tackle. like the predator. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm going to go with like 43. Okay. So lower than that, but 30 and a half. So Chase Young in three seasons with, I think he only played one full season due to a couple injuries, had more sacks in his career than our entire experience. We talk about the experience, right? These guys have all been here for two, three years, most of them. Um, he has more sacks alone than all of them in their careers combined. So again, Chase Young is a generational type player, but we're adding together like eight other dudes to combine and, and not even get up to him who left a year early. So it's a problem for me. The, the pass rush worries me as far as like sack rate, you know, basically percentage of opponents dropbacks. How many times did you sack the quarterback? 106th last year in the country. Uh, passing down sack rate. So when we knew they were going to throw the ball, it's third and 10, it's second and 15, right? 3.3%, which was 121st in the country. So whether it was just any passing down or whether it was a passing down where we knew we had to get after the quarterback, they just weren't able to do that last year. And Drew Jordan might come in and help us out a little bit, but again, nine career sacks as a graduate type player I mean that's that's not a whole lot of juice coming off the edge so that worries me the run the run stuff is is great but if we're not able to get a pass rush with four players in this defensive scheme that could be a little bit problematic and it can it can hurt the defensive backs a little bit with their ability to just stay in coverage for five six seven seconds yeah it'll be interesting to watch how this staff tries to generate pressure I think um Obviously, every group has their strengths and weaknesses. Pass rush is certainly not as good as the run stopping for this group. Uh, we've seen in the one year we've had under Tucker and under Scotty Hazelton, they're in, in pass rushing downs, you know, second, third, and long, their willingness to go to three down linemen with like an outside linebacker stand up rusher. Um, last year, they used Chase Klein in that role a lot. Uh, this year, there's talk about Brandon Wright as a speed rusher. There's uh, talk about Ben Van Summeren, very athletic kid coming in from Michigan with some pass rush potential. Um, but those are linebackers. Those aren't defensive linemen that we're talking about. I think one area that could support the pass rush pretty significantly this year that maybe we didn't have as much of last year is from the interior. Uh, Deshaun Mallory and Jalen Hunt both have the ability to fight through double teams to create pressure on the inside giving the guys on the outside one-on-one -on -one matchups you give drew jordan or jacob panishuk or drew beasley you know one-on-one -on -one, they're gonna get home sometimes um but i agree i mean it, it the pass rushing is a question mark for this group um that said i think again the, the combination of experience new talent and uh and the interior presence i think they'll they'll take steps forward this year um in that in that regard um, if they don't, I agree. I mean, we'll talk about the corners, the safeties, really the whole group behind them uh, in a minute here. Uh, a lot more weight will fall on their shoulders. And I think that the talent level and the, and the experience level in those groups is a little bit slimmer. So we'll, we'll definitely have to see an improvement. But uh, 
but I still think there's potential here to take a few steps forward on the line. Yeah. That's the tough part is, is you're banking on potential that you just haven't seen yet. Right. And, and so Mallory and hunt and, and we can envision them with, with rose colored or green colored glasses to say like, Oh, these guys are going to be forces in the middle. It's going to open up one-on-ones and Fletcher's going to develop into it. And yeah, that all sounds great on paper, but you know, again, we just haven't seen it consistently enough with these guys to, to make me feel comfortable enough there. So when we're looking at a third and 10 and you're, you're rushing four and, and they're setting up in their pass protection, do we have the dogs to get home? And that's going to be the biggest question for me. And that's something that really does worry me again. It's, it's not just something, well, I got to find something to be now. This is something that does genuinely worry me going into the season. And we, when we start looking at like predictions for the year, this is something that's going to come up in my head. Like, do we have the pass rush to get home against some of these teams that are throwing the ball a little bit more? Um, we'll start to get into some of that relatively soon here. We're nearing the end of May. So linebackers, uh, the, the, the thing that I wrote down, I was trying to, to kind of put everything into one basket. And the thing I wrote down for a reason to be optimistic and I, I don't mean this to sound insulting to any players, but it's the, the idea that maybe the incumbents don't have to start because Antoine Simmons was a dog last year, but behind that you had Noah Harvey, you had Chase Klein and, and they're replacement level players. They're not anybody that you're going to get excited about going into the year. We've bashed, especially Harvey enough. But the reality is, if we're looking for a reason to be optimistic, it's that, man, we brought in, you, you mentioned Van Summeren, we brought in Quaveras Crouch, who has started in the SEC for a couple of years. You bring in Tank Brown, who was a four-star kid coming in from Minnesota. And the hope, the optimism is that these guys are better than our replacement level linebackers. Again, like we can roll out Noah Harvey, we can roll out Chase Klein, and they'll be below average. Um, maybe they can elevate their play enough to where it's not like a severe hamper to this team. But the optimism is that the guys can come in and just beat them out of their spots because that would mean that they are significantly better football players uh, because they're coming in, new scheme, learning. And, and let's be honest, these guys have experience with this coaching staff, with the scheme. They're going to have the upper hand going into camp as much as everybody always says, oh, it's an open competition at every position. There are certain things where that does come into play. Hey, you know the playbook, you know the scheme, you know where you're supposed to be because you have a full year in the system. Now, again, it, it just comes down to the fact that these two, they're replacement level players. And I don't want to beat a dead horse with what I, my opinion of them is, but I think we can look at this pretty objectively and say, we got some guys who are potential dogs coming in. And I've used that phrase a couple of times today. I'm going to got to find a new word for it, but we got a potential couple of studs coming in. So if Tank Brown if Coiver's Crouch, if Van Summerin can can hit the ground running in, in camp in the fall, hopefully these guys won't have to play and they can be, you know, good depth players. They can be good rotational players. But the hope is that they don't have to start. Yeah, you mentioned talking about the defensive line that, you know, one of the reasons you're concerned is that we're banking on potential to be fulfilled. Um, and I think the linebackers is far more severe in that respect than the defensive line. 
Um, you mentioned Harvey and Klein. You know what you're getting is a redshirt junior and a redshirt senior. To me, Noah Harvey feels like the Rocky Lombardi of this defense this year. You know, the 100%. guy that you don't have anybody else to put there necessarily that you can kind of trust. So you put him in there and you tell him, I need you to be a leader and you just see uh, what he turns into. That's the problem is they've already started the same stuff we heard last year with Lombardi and it's scaring the hell out of me. Hey, Noah's our leader back there. Like, oh no, no. Yeah. Yeah. Is he? Is that who you, I mean, we'll see Chase Klein, Noah Harvey, like you said, you know what you're going to get in the spring game, the two guys playing behind him, uh, Cal Halliday and uh, Cole DeMarzo. We don't know a whole lot about them. They played a little bit on special teams the previous year. Uh, They're both redshirt freshmen. You look at Tank Brown coming in, redshirt freshman. You look at Quaveras Crouch, who's played a couple years in the SEC and is certainly the most promising incoming guy, in my opinion, in this group, but still was a running back in high school. Uh, By all accounts was still quote unquote, learning the position of linebacker, even as soon as last year at Tennessee. Now he's coming into a a kind of a niche scheme, a five, two or a four, two scheme. Um, So he was already on a learning curve for a standard four through defense. He's getting thrown into kind of an even different scheme. There's going to be another learning curve for him. Is he going to be ready? He didn't come in until the middle of the summer. So he's really not going to start learning the scheme until, um, you know, basically July. So where does that leave us? Um, Like you said, it's, it's all banking on some of these guys, Van Summer and Crouch uh, Brown, maybe some of these youngsters to take steps up and take the pressure off our team to play guys like Klein and uh, Harvey on a down to down basis, you lose a depth guy like Hightower. Um, It's all just what ifs it's if this guy can turn into what we hope he is, but we haven't necessarily seen him be that yet, then we might be okay. So I know this is a group we've been talking about ever since, you know, we started to just think about what is this going to be? What's, what's this team going to be without Antoine Simmons with middle, early middle last season, those thoughts started coming in and we didn't, we have still yet to find an answer to that question. Um, You know what Chase Klein and Noah Harvey are and Chase Klein and Noah Harvey are a linebacker group. That's going to leave you terrified every week in big 10 play. Um, I mean, that's just the way I see it. I think they're, I'm sure they're great kids. It's just, they got kind of slow feet and it's a fast game these days. And uh, yeah, this group more than any in the defense really scares me. I guess if there's a silver lining, there's only two of them on the field out of 11 each play. So um, that was, that's part of my pushback is the defensive line. Like when we're talking about pass rush, you got to find a a couple guys, right? With the line, we just got to find two players. (laughs) That's, that's it. Um, and you have a much smaller pool of players because you carry less linebackers on the roster, but yeah, you only got to find two guys and, and maybe that's Quaveras crouch and maybe it's incoming freshman Ma Nateote, like, you know, not to put too much pressure on a, on a true freshman again, more, you know, you, you can use that and just say, that's me being a hypocrite because we haven't seen it, but Quaveras crouch, I will say is somebody we've at least, he started 10 games last year and played pretty darn well. He had at or near double digit tackles against a top five Texas A&M team against uh, Kentucky at over 10 tackles against number three, Georgia. He had seven tackles and a forced fumble uh, as a true freshman a, a, against Alabama. He went in at a tackle for loss at a few tackles. So 
I think with Quaver's crouch, it's it's a, something a little bit more than just potential because he has started 11 games. He has played in 23 games in the SEC. So has he done it in the Big Ten? Has he done it in the scheme? No, but I think it's something we can at least count on a little bit more than a Van Summerin, a Nauteote, a Tank Brown, who we just haven't seen at all. So I think there's something to that. And so if we count the way I'm looking at the linebackers, basically is I'm counting on Quaver's crouch to come in and start right away. That, that's just kind of how I've watched some of his tape from Tennessee from last year. And he's just one of those ultra athletic sideline to sideline, but also he's almost 240 pounds and he can thump in the middle. He's got a good feel for the game. He played running back at Tennessee as well. So he's got a good feel of, you know, when a hole opens up, he knows the running back's going to be looking that way and he can close that gap sooner. So I'm basically looking at the linebacker group of we already got Quaver's Crouch starting in one spot and I feel good about it. Now, who we just need to find one more guy. So maybe that's Noah Harvey or Chase Klein or, or somebody, but at least in that case, then it's only one of the two instead of both of them again. <laughs> so I don't know. But again, just, just I, I feel good about Quaver's Crouch. Just find me one more. Just find me one more backer who can play there. And then if Noah Harvey's your third or fourth linebacker, it's fine. If Chase Klein's your third or fourth linebacker, that's fine. I just, you can't go into a season starting both of these guys. And I'm glad that the, the coaching staff clearly agreed with that and addressed the position pretty heavily this offseason. Yeah, I mean, pessimism and optimism aside, I, I agree on hoping Crouch starts. Um, it's just one of those situations where it's a new guy. You see him in the announcement, you read the articles about the successes that he had. And immediately you think, okay, this is a guy that's going to come in and start and make a huge difference. But we've seen situations like this, where you read the hype, you get all the positives. Nobody's really highlighting the, the downsides of his game. And then he gets into camp and you just don't hear his name as much as you think you would. And maybe he there is a steep learning curve that he doesn't pick up on and it takes him half a season to really get his feet under him in the system. And um, not saying that's how it's going to be. I, I would like him to start this year. Week yeah, one. I, I've seen enough uh, tape just that I, I feel pretty good about it, to be honest. I mean, again, he, he's had a ton of snaps in college. It's not somebody that's only had a couple flash games or flash plays. I, I do feel pretty good about him. The other guys, you can definitely make the argument, are just kind of throwing a dart at the wall. But uh, I, I will say I feel pretty good about Crouch at, at one of those spots there. And we'll see. We'll see. Um, it's it's an interesting group. It's a group that I know we had our eyes on during the spring game. Even last season, you know, Antoine Simmons was there. But outside of that, you're looking at who who's the next guy that's going to come up and fill the void or just, you know, play um, – next to the number one linebacker. And there's a lot of questions left to be answered, but uh, we do have some exciting potential. Yeah. So hit me with the corners. Why, why should the good people feel good about this cornerback group? The corners it's, I guess, just a numbers game at this point. Um, I think the banking on potential is going to be a theme at every position, offense and defense where a young team in a new system who had a bad year last year brought in a ton of guys. So Again, with the corners, it's a lot of guys that we don't know a whole lot about, but have shown reasons for optimism um, to start really the only stable corner we know we're going to rely on our CB1, no doubt about it, uh, Kalen Gervin. I think 
it's safe to say he's going to be on an island the entire season playing that cover three um, in every snap. Uh, unless some somebody surprises us or he gets injured, knock on wood, God forbid, he's going to be out there every snap on the best receiver on the other side of the ball. And you can generally rely on him. Any corner gets beat once in a while, but he's going to be the most consistent guy and the guy that you feel like, okay, you know, you're in the red zone. You need a safety down in the box to stop the run on a short down. Who are you just putting out there to, to guard the fade against their best receiver one-on-one? And that's, that's Kalen Gervin. Um, I'd be surprised if anyone wasn't particularly confident in him out there. Beyond that, we're looking at potential. You've got Gross, who has shown flashes, but still has yet to kind of find a home. From what I saw in the spring game, I don't think our staff really wants to play him on the outside. I think they want him either in the slot or at free safety. But nonetheless, a guy that is going to be getting snaps, I think, is is currently our number two corner uh, heading into fall camp. After that, guys returning, there's really no one that I see who I'm confident in. I mean, Justin White, Terrell Williams. Uh, I mean, it's, you're really it's thin. you're really doing a great job with this optimism thing. <laughs> but, but <laughs> we've got a few guys coming in who I think are ready to get on the field. Corner is a position that regardless of scheme, most programs are teaching the same things. So it's a, it's a position that in a lot of respects, you can go from program to program and still be relied on to do that and be good at the same things. And you've got a couple of guys coming in and Chester Kimbrough coming up from Florida and then Ronald Williams coming up from Alabama previously was coming out of JUCO, uh, both really talented guys who were pushing for significant playing time at top tier SEC programs. Uh, and for their own reasons, it didn't work out, but I still think have that same talent and potential level. And I think at least one of these guys is going to be ready to play on the outside as a starter week one, if not both of them. Um, I know, again, you're banking on potential here, but these are two of the best defensive transfers that we brought in this year. Um, and I stand by that. And you add a third one um, coming up from D2. They don't really know necessarily where they're going to play him yet. He could play corner. He could play safety. Um, and that is Kendall Brooks. So again, not a lot of tape on this guy. He's a, he's a really quick guy. Maybe he's just a special teams guy's first year. Maybe not. We'll see. Um, but he could be another guy that opens a lot of eyes and surprises a lot of people really versatile, could make a push at that slot, could make a push at that free safety spot. Uh, not sure he's ready from a physical perspective to play on the outside, but the, those three guys combined, combined with Gervin and Gross, I think you've got a pretty solid two deep corner group. Michael Dowell can fill in at that slot position when he needs to, although I think he's more of a natural safety. Um, so I really think we're going to have a group here that we can rely on. It may take a couple weeks to get their feet under them, but thankfully we have or should have a non-conference uh, schedule this year, you know, some, some tune-up games, if you will, to uh, make sure these guys understand what's going on and can really put into practice what they're learning in camp. Um, and I think we're going to be okay. I think it's a, it's a group that a lot of people coming out of last season were terrified especially after the transfer names came out who are leaving the program. But I think we've got a lot of field ready talent coming in and I think it'll be okay. It's a position again that, especially on the outside, 
Um, if you've been coached anywhere, you've been coached for everywhere. And, uh, and I think we'll be, we'll be ready to go. The thing that scares the hell out of me is the depth because going into this off season, we had two scholarship corners. We had Kalon Gervin and Angelo gross, and that was it. And you had a couple walk-ons beside behind them. So obviously we're planning on, and, and we ended up getting a few transfers, but Man, even with all these transfers coming in. So we got Kendall Brooks, you mentioned from uh, Division Two from North Greenville. He hasn't played a snap of in-game action at in football since 2019 because the, the COVID pandemic took out their season last year. So you're asking a kid to come from uh, basically a two-year break and that last time that he played football was at division two. So you're asking him to take a two-year break and to come join a big 10 football team and come in and play right away. That's a tough ask. Chester Kimbrough comes in talented kid. Didn't play a whole lot at Florida. So that's going to be something to keep an eye on as well. Marquis Lowry corner from Louisville hasn't played a snap yet at Louisville who had a terrible defense last year. So you know, you, you look at a, a horrible defense and a, and a defensive back who wasn't able to get on the field. Young player. I, I mean, that, that's certainly not like everything to hold against him. But again, if we're looking at this pessimistically, if we're looking through that lens, that does worry you a little bit. Kari Crump coming from Arizona. Um, Arizona is just a dumpster fire right now the last couple of years. So I, I don't know how much stock to bring in from like, Hey, we're bringing a power five guy that, that does worry me a little bit. He only played with Arizona for two games last year before he entered the portal. Maybe he wasn't the problem. And he saw, man, this program is a dumpster fire. I'm getting the hell out of here. Entered the portal after just two games from last year. Um, and then obviously you had the most recent was Ronald Williams from Alabama, um, somebody you can certainly be excited about. Yeah. He's coming from Alabama, but we just haven't seen him again. Mostly most of his tape is going to be Juco stuff. So the, the lack of depth really worries me because corner is a spot where number one, you, you always have to worry about injuries as with every position, but corner, you might be having to play three or four of these guys at one time, right? If, if you're playing Purdue and they're lining up five wide, if you're playing Ohio state and they they're running four wide, like you're going to have to get a bunch of these guys on the field at one time. So not only is it a matter of, well, you got to account for what, what if Kalen Gervin gets hurt, right? Then what? Well, no, not if, if everybody's healthy, we're going to have to find a few of these guys that can come in and play this year. So that's the thing that scares the hell out of me is you worry about depth, especially at the cornerback position, maybe more than any other position, other than offensive line on the field, because you're going to be rotating these guys in and out consistently and on certain formations against certain teams, you're going to have to roll out three or four of these guys on the field at one time anyway. So that's the thing that scares the hell out of me is, is just, yeah, you got to find a couple of these guys that hit and it could use that same argument. Well, you just said with linebacker, we can find, well, linebacker, I'm only asking you to find one with corner. We got to find two, three, maybe even four of these guys that'll hit at least to a certain extent. So that scares the hell out of me, man. The, these corners were, we're asking for trouble without a lot of depth at that position going into this season. Again, you're looking at a, a couple of true freshmen that are coming in as well. Uh, a couple talented kids, but 
when we're talking about the 2021 season here, I think that really worries me. The long-term, I'm not as worried because we got just a lot of bodies. And if you give us a couple years, I'm more confident about finding a couple hits. But when we're asking for 2021 and, and you're basically asking most of these guys to be playing their first college snaps uh, in key positions at, at key points of the game against Big Ten opponents, that that's a tough ask. And that's something I'm going to be really worried about. Yeah, I mean, it's going to take a, a great coaching job. Um, I guess one interesting thing at the corners and the entire program as a whole is this is the first group of Mel Tucker's guys that he's bringing in. Last season, he was working with D'Antonio's guys. And I mean, Mel Tucker is clearly recruiting to his schemes. He wants big, physical, fast guys that can rely on their athleticism to make plays. And I mean, I know we haven't seen these guys in the green and white yet for some of these corners, but um, they're guys that this staff went out and said, we believe this guy can be successful in our scheme. This is the type of guy we're looking for um, at corner and across the field. It's going to be interesting to see how, how that recruiting strategy plays out for this, for this uh, program and this coaching staff. But I do think we have a good influx of talent here. Um, I think, when you look at a guy like Kendall Brooks, who had a great spring already, he wasn't necessarily a guy that a lot of people were expecting to make a huge impact uh, this year, but by all accounts had a great spring and will be pushing for playing time. So that's already working out well. Again, you've got the two guys coming up from the SEC, Chester Kimbrough playing at Florida, a great SEC team. He was getting playing time as a true freshman in an elite SEC program. Not a great defense, but. I'll, <laughs> I'll play granted, ball there. <laughs> granted, but also playing against SEC offenses yeah. who have the best offenses in the country. Remember so. when remember when SEC football used to be like 10 to 3 games? Those yeah. days are long. What gone, was the man. the classic uh Bama LSU? It was like 9 6 or yeah. 6 to 3 or the something. Game of the century. Yeah. That that was yeah. not that long ago. <laughs> no, no. So It'll be interesting, certainly, again, relying on potential. It's a theme at every position group this year. Um, we're going to have to see that potential come through. But I think the corners, more than some groups, are in great shape with the talent they're bringing in. The safeties I, I'll bring up here because it's a little bit of a change of pace from, from a very similar conversation we've been having about a couple of these groups. And the safeties, I think you you have a couple reasons for optimism. You have experience first and foremost. Um, you have Xavier Henderson, who has played a ton of snaps at Michigan State. Different schemes, different coaching staffs, and he's done pretty damn well at all of them. So Xavier Henderson, you can fill in there and know he's going to do his job and know he's going to do it pretty darn well. Michael Dowell played a ton of snaps for us last year, played a good amount of snaps for us back in 2019 as well. Uh, and then you got guys like Emmanuel Flowers who have been in college football for like five years. And then you, you add in the fact that maybe a Kendall Brooks moves to safety. Maybe Angelo Gross moves to safety. Uh, Angelo Gross, somebody who got a ton of snaps last year. So you have a lot of experience. And on top of that, you got some, you know, fun young players who you can see develop under that. And, and that's kind of, when we look at what's ideal for a, for a position group, it's you have, the older experienced guys who are actually good, right? So you, you have a Xavier Henderson in there who, you know, is going to play, play very well, do his job, be a leader in the film room. And then you got a handful of young players who you get really excited about 
whether it's a Darius Snow, whether it's a Michael Gravely, whether it's an AJ Kirk. So you have, I think, a, a great mix between experience and young talent at the safety position. And I think this is going to be one of the groups that I think top to bottom is one of the most secure on the roster. Maybe not the best, maybe not the the most high-end talent, but the one that you can go into this season and be like, yeah, I, I, I feel good about the safeties. I know that they're, the floor is is pretty darn high and the ceiling for the next couple of years is high as well because there is some exciting young talent. So I think the safety group is one that I think is going to be pretty hard to find any pessimism. I do have one thing written down. I'll, I'll see if Scott, if you're hitting on the same thing I was thinking, but I feel pretty good about this group. So safeties, I'll start with Xavier Henderson because he's the clear leader in this group. He's the, I would say the leader of the defense Um, through and through. He is the guy who you expect to be the top dog on this defense. It is his defense. Uh, Just the experience and the talent and the way that he carries himself. I think the rest of the team views him that way as well. Um, Two years ago, if you were to say, what does Xavier Henderson's senior year look like? I would say first or second team, all Big Ten. Um, I would like to feel that way going into this season. After last year, I don't feel as confident. I think it's still possible, but I do not feel as confident. Um, Last year was a weird year. You saw it with a guy like Eli Collins, got COVID, just didn't. You saw it all over the country. Things that you were expecting to happen last season – didn't pan out that way. Xavier Henderson was another one. We don't know the reason. He just didn't seem to take a step forward last year. He seemed like a good, not great, strong safety, box safety in the Big Ten. Um, the question this year is, did he reach his potential two years ago and he's just playing there now? Or did something about last year hold him back and he's going to springboard into this season, his senior year, and really blow up the way that we were hoping he would um, a couple years ago going into last year? That being said, I do think you know his floor. He's a good, at least a good Big Ten safety. Um, playing in the box in this cover three, he plays down low a lot. It gets him around the ball a lot more in the run-stopping scenarios, playing, you know, covering out in space on the outside a lot. We'll see, but I think you know what you've got. The other one scares me a lot. Um, Trey Person played the majority of snaps as our second safety last year, and no offense to this kid. I'm sure he's a great kid. Did not do a very good job. Not good. Um, and he was still playing that position a lot. And we had Gross and we had Michael Dowell, who going into this season, you would expect to be the top two contenders for that spot. And they didn't take that job from him. And that's what scares me because based on the film going through last season of what Trey Person was doing, you'd expect if we had another option he would have taken that spot. Um, I know Michael Dowley's a redshirt junior. He's been in the program a long time. Uh, I know there's a lot of eyes on him to fill that spot. And I think he could do a pretty good job of it. Um, but why wasn't he there last year when we were playing a corner at free safety beyond that? Again, you've got youngsters like Michael Gravely and AJ Kirk, but I don't think anybody's really comfortable relying on a true freshman uh, to fill a void. You just don't know what they're going to be. Uh, you've got a guy like Kendall Brooks coming in. We don't know if he's even going to play corner or safety. We don't really know what he is. We just spoke about him in, in while we were discussing the corners. You've got Darius Snow, who I really think 
him along with a lot of these younger safeties kind of fills the Xavier Henderson role a, a, a bit better than like a free safety over the top, you know, center of the cover three role. So there's options there. Uh, but I don't think there's a lot of great options there. Again, this is your center fielder in this scheme. He's not going to have help over the top. He's not going to have another safety playing next to him. It's not a cover two or a cover four. He's going to be the center fielder of this defense. You line up against an Ohio State or a Purdue who's playing a really fast slot corner who can take the top off a of defense. Who's going to be the guy who's playing over the top and blanketing him and making sure they're not hitting home run balls? I don't know. I don't think Dowell's got the speed for that. I think Dowell likes to hit. I think Dowell likes to come downhill. Um, and Gross feels more like a corner. I don't know. We'll see. I just, I don't feel great about any of these options. Like you said, for corners, long-term, I think we'll be fine. We've got a lot of youngsters, a lot of guys to be excited about. But last year, it was a position of weakness, and we're bringing back a lot of the guys who were trying to take that spot and failed to last year. So, it just scares me. And especially in this cover three, where you're the only guy covering the center of the field. Yeah. Free safety. I think I would have really liked to see us finish out the year last year. Like I think with a lot of these groups, it, the way that it just kind of ended after Penn state really sucks because we didn't have a chance to really see how it progressed because Michael Dowell did start that Penn state game uh, and took most of the reps at safety with Xavier Henderson and so we only got really one game to see what that would look like. Uh, I, I would have liked to see us play a Maryland who really likes to open it up a little bit more on offense. And I, I just think we missed out on a chance to see a little bit more from that group because, again, uh, you know, he did get that job at the end of last year. Well, we can argue the semantics about what does it mean to like take the job, right? But he he certainly put himself in a position to take the job with that last game against Penn State. I would have really liked to, especially against a team like Maryland, who does like to open it up a little bit more on offense so we can kind of see a lot of different situations against a passing pass-heavy offense who likes to spread it out. So I think that group is very interesting. The, the thing for Pesava, I just want to hit on it before we get out of here, was kind of similar to what you mentioned, but like, do we have any like real playmakers? And I, I mentioned, like, I, I think the floor is pretty high, but man, I, I just, I worry about the ability to go out there and make a big play to get an interception when you need it to, to make that hit that force fumble to hit that dude over the middle, right. When you need a big play on defense, that, that does worry me a little bit, but as a whole, like I mentioned, I do feel good about the safety group. I, I think we've got a pretty high floor, and I think there's a pretty high ceiling as well with these young players that I like. So let's, uh, let's wrap this thing up. Let's let's try to get out of here in a relatively timely manner. I, we both have some appointments on the way this Sunday afternoon. So uh, as we mentioned here, we will be running episodes every week throughout the whole off season. And as we start getting closer to the season, we'll start running twice a week, obviously. Um, on the way, we have a lot of ideas. If you have some ideas for some off-season topics you'd like us to hit on, it could be some historical stuff. I'm, I'm planning on doing, uh, last year we did the top 40 quarterbacks in Michigan State football history. I made a list. It was a lot of fun. Got a lot of good interaction with that. This year, I'm planning on at least doing the running backs. So that'll be a lot of fun. We've had a lot of great ones at Michigan State. So that top five to 10 is going to be really tough to sort out. Um, 
we'll hit that. We, we got a couple other off season ideas as well, but if you have any ideas, send us an email standing room Spartans at gmail.com. Again, that's standing room Spartans at gmail.com. Hit us on Twitter at standing room MSU. Scott is at Spartan Martin 18. You can send us a DM on Instagram. Instagram is standing room Spartans. Uh, there's a whole lot of ways you can get in touch with us. So if you have any ideas, we definitely appreciate them. We'll be hitting a couple mailbags and stuff like that. So uh, anything else before we wrap this thing up, Scott? No, I'm excited. Keep rolling through one week closer to the season. And uh, hopefully we'll get some news now that everybody's on campus. I think all the, the rest of the incoming transfers and some more of the incoming freshmen have made it onto campus. So the team's coming together. I mentioned before we got on here, it should feel kind of like an NFL camp this year. A lot of new faces, a lot of guys who we don't really know a whole lot about who are just going to go out there and try to make plays. Something in camp like and, 45% of the scholarship player. It's, it's so silly. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be a fun, a fun off season and a fun season, seeing how these things play out, you know, putting some tape to these names and uh, excited to keep rolling through, but uh, for now stuck to the off season and watching Trek. <laughs> All right, everybody. So have yourselves a, a great rest of your Monday here or Tuesday or whenever the hell you're listening. Have a great week and we'll talk to you next week. Go green, go white. Take care folks.